The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. And you're welcome back to The Last Word. Now the countdown is on to the start of the World Cup on Sunday in Qatar. It's a moment every fan looks forward to every four years to see the best teams in the world take on each other. And it has one of the biggest TV audiences in the world. But should we be boycotting it, given that the hosts Qatar have a questionable human rights record and also the toll it has taken on the hundreds of thousands of migrant workers that have built the infrastructure in Qatar? Sam Rowe is communications officer with Amnesty International Ireland and Will O'Callaghan is from our own off the ball team. You're both very welcome to The Last Word. Sam, I'll start with you. Should people out there, football fans, be boycotting the World Cup and showing a message to the Qatari government and also to FIFA? Well, I mean, thank you for having me, first of all. First thing to say is if people uh, cannot stomach the kind of human rights atrocities that have happened in Qatar, it is their own personal decision what they want to do. But Amnesty International, we decided from early on when Qatar received the World Cup to engage with them to try and make this a real kind of a better situation for human rights in the region. So since the bid was given, we have been petitioning FIFA to set up this compensation fund of $440 million for the migrant workers that have been abused. We have been petitioning Qatar to do the, to do the same. And our view is we need to keep shouting and keep talking to them. So we certainly won't be boycotting the World Cup. We'll be keeping an eye on, we'll be keeping the pressure on throughout through petitions, through direct engagement with them and the football associations, and we would encourage fans to do the same. Some of the football teams will be making gestures, particularly around uh, armbands by captains carrying the rainbow colours, also with shoelaces on their boots. Does more need to happen from the football teams themselves? Because, of course, they're going to do quite well out of it, making in about 420 in prize money. That's correct. It is $440 million in prize money, actually, and FIFA themselves will be making a profit of $6 billion um, overall. We encourage kind of all the teams to raise their voice, particularly on the migrant workers. I know the situation is slightly different when it comes to the LGBT community. There's been discussion as to how helpful it is for fans to go over with rainbow flags and things. But certainly for migrant workers, we've been in touch with football associations, both here at the FAI, and the Association of Northern Ireland, even though they're not going with themselves, their delegates should petition FIFA to set up this compensation fund to petition for a better human rights situation in Qatar. So as long as uh, players and associations are having these conversations, the better as far as we're concerned. Willow Callahan, as a sports broadcaster, the World Cup is one of those moments you live for. It's only every four years. You're looking forward to these games. But when you're watching it on TV, can you really turn your mind away from the fact that the stadiums were built with migrant labour who had to live in effective slave camps and the debt toll as well from the accidents that happened on these building sites? No, you can't. Uh, that's the simple answer to that. More than 6,000 people have lost their lives in creating stadiums. Uh, seven of them, not the 12 that were initially planned when the bid was put in 2010. But these stadiums are going to be detached, in when the tournament finishes and some of these stadiums are going to be sold in part or given to other countries afterwards, which is perhaps the most sickening thing of all, is that these white elephants have been created on the backs of more than 6,000 people who have lost their lives. And you know, we've had some of the teams campaigning, uh, Denmark perhaps most notably, to uh, try and create a fund um, for those who have been bereaved, the migrant workers for the best part who've lost their lives creating these stadiums. And that's where I think some pressure has come from some of the teams. Australia 
you might remember, put out a video a couple of weeks ago where they strongly argued that if the World Cup is going to have any kind of legacy, it should be to create union rights for workers and also to not have a situation where you would have people uh, working for that little money and literally losing their lives in creating stadiums for a tournament. And we talk a lot about the legacy of World Cups and like you can go back, you know, sports washing issues haven't begun and ended in Qatar, uh, particularly for anyone who may have seen FIFA Uncovered, the very good Netflix documentary which came out just over a week ago. Uh, they trace it directly back, particularly to the uh, military junta in 1978 in Argentina, which is effectively the first World Cup after the commercialisation of FIFA. And remarkable to think that many of the companies who got involved in the early stages before that tournament, like Coca-Cola and Adidas, are now strongly involved in the $6 billion of revenue that FIFA will take in, up 14% on the 2018 tournament in Russia, which wasn't without its own issues around um, Russian state doping and so on. As well, before that tournament kicked off, you can trace this almost all the way back. And even Horst Dazzler, who was the head of Adidas, uh, took over the marketing rights and the TV commercial rights ahead of the 1982 World Cup. And FIFA have been closely selling those rights along with the Dazzler family and ILS ever since. So, you know, football and money became very interesting intertwined around the 1978 World Cup at a time when people were going missing in Argentina. Paul Breitner was one of the players who was a conscientious objector. He scored a goal in the 1974 final for Germany, didn't travel to play in Argentina. But even many of the Argentinian team who won the tournament on home soil um, look back not so fondly on their experience of the regime that were in place at the time. So it's not the first time that we've had discussions about potential boycotts. Uruguay, for a very different reason, didn't go to the Mussolini World Cup in the 1930s uh, where they felt that there was an unfairness around European teams. So uh, boycotting has happened with FIFA previously. Obviously, none of the teams are going to boycott the World Cup. And I think in this case, FIFA have already got their money in the bank because of the remarkable TV rights in particular. There was a bidding war between NBC and Fox in the United States in particular, where the US rights for this tournament alone were worth $400 million. So the commercial partners have not been put off by issues around Qatar. The TV rights have not been put off around issues around Qatar. But maybe if there's uh, some pressure put on, it might uh, change the face of things with Saudi Arabia potentially being a bidder for 2030 in particular. Sam, given the um, announcements we've seen, as as Will said, from some of the teams, what they're going to do, and also a lot of focus on it from NGOs and yourself, does it put down a marker for future sporting events around the world to be held in questionable regimes? We'd like to think so. Um, I I would say, uh, in terms of that, anyone, any regime who kind of takes on a tournament such as this is doing it, yes, for the financial uh, gains. But I believe also Qatar have spent around $200 billion. So it's not like they'll be making a net profit, perhaps, on, on this. But also, you know, for that soft power regime, they want the spotlight of the world on them. You know, so what we're trying to say at Amnesty is if you want the spotlight of the world on you, that also means the spotlight on your human rights record. You know, get your human rights record out in the open. Show us how you treat your migrant workers and everything like that. So certainly we would hope that if Saudi Arabia or anywhere else is looking at holding someone in the future, they would suggest, okay, if we're going to do this, we're also going to be put under this scrutiny and perhaps we'll need to change going forward now. Um, We'll keep petitioning no matter who holds it going forward and all we can do is see. Will, 
you and a lot of your colleagues in Off the Ball have all been talking about the human rights record of Qatar and I presume over the next few days you'll continue to do so. But does that die down after the first game? Does it go away from the headlines when people start getting into the matches? People say, oh, well, we made our protest and that's it. And it's now into the actual football. It's curious to see what is going to happen because I think the hype you mentioned at the outset that you know, football fans wait every four years the World Cup comes around and excitement builds up. I've never known a World Cup tournament in my lifetime which has had less excitement in advance of the tournament kicking off. It gets underway this Sunday. Now, there are obviously multiple factors that go beyond moral concerns for supporters. The fact that this World Cup is taking place in the winter, that has broken up the traditional flow of the season. All those different factors have also played into it somewhat as well. But I don't think it is going to go away because I think the vast majority of reporters who, go, who are going across are likely to continue writing and talking about this while they're on the ground as well. Notwithstanding the fact that many of the journalists who we've spoken to over the last couple of weeks have effectively been told that everything that you communicate with while you're there, while you're on 4G or you're on Wi-Fi, you almost have to assume that you're being watched while you're there. And we saw the Danish TV crew who were trying to just do a report ahead of the World Cup and were ushered off the street uh, during the week as well, which wasn't exactly the most promising start for broadcasters who are going on the ground. But the issue and the spotlight which is on Qatar currently is not going to go away. And I think it's very much in focus. When we talk about Saudi Arabia bidding for 2030, uh, Gianni Infantino, the current FIFA president who inherited both the Russian Games in 2018 and also these finals in Qatar, which had already been agreed in 2010 and 2011 uh, in those votes. So in many ways, Infantino was unable to take these two away. So his first tournament is going to be the American one with Canada, the USA and Mexico in 2026. But Saudi Arabia are very much setting themselves up for a bid for 2030. And Infantino was seen sitting in a box in Jeddah at Alexander Usyk against Anthony Joshua, the world heavyweight title fight just a few weeks ago. And he was sitting there with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He has handed a medal to Putin along the way um, from FIFA as well. So there is already that question about FIFA's relationship um, with the regime in Saudi Arabia ahead of that bid even taking place for 2030. So for those who think that maybe it's only going to happen once in Qatar, maybe this is the only time that FIFA will go down this direction, I would say that's not going to be the case. Will O'Callaghan from Off the Ball and Sam Rowe, Communications Officer with Amnesty International Ireland. Thank you very much for joining us on that item. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.